Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. So have you ever wondered how many kids are detained or placed behind bars every year? Uh, the numbers are pretty staggering, and the numbers may not be accurate. They may be a little low. A new report from the Sentencing Project shows there are probably more incarcerated youth than what officially gets counted. We'll look at why that is happening. Uh, but what should the conversations really be about this policy? We've spent a lot of time on this program talking about criminal justice reform, sentencing reform, uh, but we've never got into it from a youth perspective, young people, and how that's uh, impacting everywhere. And really pleased to have joining us on the program, Josh Rovner, Senior Advocacy Associate for the Sentencing Project, uh, where he studies juvenile justice issues. Uh, Josh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with it. Let's just start with the numbers. What are the real numbers in, in terms of young people and that sentencing? Well, the, the counts that I present in the report show that about 250,000 times a year, uh, we know the kids are locked up on what are called delinquency offenses, meaning the things that send kids to juvenile court instead of adult court. Even that number is an undercount because we know that some kids are also locked up for violating the terms of their probation or for what are called status offenses. So as appallingly high as that number is, even that number is an undercount. One of the other things that you noted in your report is how disproportionately uh, those youth are youth of color. That's correct. I mean, what this report does is that it goes past the point of arrest to look at what happens when a kid gets in front of a judge. And we find that uh, for white kids, two out of ten times that they're referred to court, they get, they get detained at the outset. For African-American and Latino kids, it's three out of ten times. So you can see it's about 50 percent more common for youth of color to be detained than their white peers are. Yeah, and so as you, as you start going down, so let's kind of keep marching down that process. If those numbers are different uh, at the outset in terms of who's detained, what just kind of take us through the rest of that whole process and what are we seeing in terms of our young people? Well, you know, there's some good news in here because, in fact, youth arrests have dropped quite a bit over the last decade or two. Uh, what's frustrating, though, is that the harshness of the system has remained just about as as harsh as it was at the outset. So we see overall for all kids that about one out of every four times that they're arrested and sent to juvenile court, they're detained. Now, that is before any sort of court process has taken place to determine their guilt or innocence. And then at the end of the pipeline, you know, they might have their charges dismissed because of actual innocence or because of the lack of evidence. Same reason that anyone uh, would have a case dismissed. They also may get uh, a a probation sentence. They may get restitution. They may get committed to a locked facility. And again, at the end of the pipeline, we see that it's about as common as it was at the outset, that about one out of every 10 times uh, that a kid who is arrested is locked up at the end of the sentence. Mm. 
And so as you look at that in terms of where we go from here, uh, in terms of improving that whole process, uh, really focus on the outcomes and, and what is it that we want at the end of the end of that process in terms of uh, a young person who can then return to community and society and, and have an upward path. Uh, you, one of the things you say in your reports that I think is so critical is, is so much of this, especially as it relates to youth, uh, is at the local level. So it's going to require state legislatures uh, to jump in and do some of that hard work and heavy lifting. That's correct. You know, juvenile justice is generally handled by states and the counties. Uh, so these are decisions that are made locally uh, by local prosecutors, local sheriffs. And by state-level laws that determine what are uh, detainable offenses, what minimum age of detention might be, or reasons that a kid could be detained or committed at all. And so as you look at what are some of the other things that we should be looking at, uh, again, knowing this is going to be state-by-state? Utah's done some good things, I think, in terms of making some of those important tweaks. But what are some of the things that you're seeing uh, around the country where there's just really some obvious opportunities uh, to make this system work better in terms of producing the right outcomes? You know, I think the important thing is where we're putting the money. Are we going to put it toward places that are going to help kids succeed, or are we going to put it toward places that kids fail? I mean, the, the research is very clear that even short stays in detention are really bad for kids, and in doing so, it means it's bad for all of us. Uh, they're much more likely to reoffend. So why is that, but they're more likely to reoffend? Well, they're less likely to return to school. Uh, by sending them to a detention center, you've created a more harmful social network. So you could be teaching a shoplifter to become a card theft. Uh, the kids stigmatize themselves. They're stigmatized by the community for being in these places. It all puts together a picture of kids who are more likely to be rearrested if we detain them than if we don't. And are there some good models out there in terms of uh, states or counties that are, that are getting it right or creating the right environment for that, uh, that know, positive I return? I think there's been some real progress in Utah. You know, the, the use of detention has dropped a lot. You're using youth services center for the intake instead of automatically sending kids to the detention center to figure out who can go home. Uh, I would love to see that expanded. Um, you know, the numbers kind of speak for themselves of the kids who are sent to locked detention because only 30% of them are there for more than a week. And that's not because the detention center staff has some sort of magic wand that solves all of the problems that got them in the front door. It's the fact that these kids are being detained perhaps as an opportunity to scare them. And we know that that's really shown to be ineffective. They can go home for the most part. And we see as they get deeper into the system how rare it is that a kid gets committed at the end of their trial uh, as compared to the frequency of detention at the beginning. Yeah, and then finally, uh, as you look at things moving forward, what are some of the things on the horizon? What are some of the things that you're watching uh, as you continue to track this and research this? Of How do we really get beyond uh, treating especially these young offenders as just liabilities to be managed as opposed to young people who still have immense potential that can be developed? Well, I, I like the way that you put that. You know, I mean, the, the question is to look at kids' strengths instead of their weaknesses. I think all of us can look back on our teenage years and realize we're not the person that we were when we were 15 years old. And chances are the thing that helped us through that was a caring adult. Uh, certainly, uh, there's opportunity to help kids uh, with the problems that led them into the system, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, anger management issues, family conflict. There's so many opportunities to help these kids outside of the juvenile justice system, and I think that's where we ought to be looking to help. Uh, 
I think that's so important. Uh, it is often outside that system that uh, that that real work can be can be done there. Anything else you're you're tracking that we should be watching in the uh, the months ahead? You know, I've been really happy to see the progress that's happening nationwide in blue states and red states alike. Uh, Indiana just passed the law that said you can't detain a kid under the age of 13 unless it's a very serious offense. Uh, Maryland is ready to uh, limit the use of detention and commitment uh, for first-time misdemeanors. I would love to see bills like that be echoed around the country. And I think that there's a great opportunity to do that. Fantastic. Josh Rovner, Senior Policy, excuse me, Senior Advocacy Associate for the Sentencing Project. Uh, he's studying juvenile justice issues there. And Josh, this is a great report, an important report uh, for everybody here in the state of Utah and across the country. Uh, we, we can and we must do better uh, as we try to, to move that to, again, not just liabilities, but immense potential uh, to really develop. Josh Rovner, thanks again for joining us today. Well, thank you. All right, we'll go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. President Biden announced strong sanctions against Vladimir Putin's family this morning and other Russian oligarchs. But in that same speech, he also talked up the values of unions. Why is that? We'll talk about it coming up next. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.